and as we settle in, uh, you can go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have them with you, to James chapter 3. Today, as we uh, man enter into James 3, uh, we're going to continue with really the call that we, we ended with last week. So as James 2 ended, uh, man, we got this uh, portion of Scripture where we're looking uh, at, man, now what does it mean to have faith uh, that produces action? Well, what does it mean to live lives where, man, our faith uh, has works with it, right? And, um, you know, James, uh, man, he argues this. He talks about this. He wants us to see that the faith that we claim to have, that it would bear the fruit of good works. Man, for every follower of Jesus, man, our faith is to produce good works. Uh, again, the nature of faith according to God's word uh, is that works are not done so that a person might be made right with God. But you see, works are a response to the salvation that only comes through the finished work of Jesus. You see, really, if you're going to look at it, the difference is this. It's the difference between two phrases. And when you think about the gospel, when you think about salvation, uh, are the things that you do so that, and man, that so that is really key, so that you might earn God's favor, or, uh, man, do you view salvation and the things you do in light of? Man, those are two vastly different things. The, the first, uh, man, if you think of, man, I do these things so that I might be approved and have identity in Christ. Man, that is enslavement, but not only is it enslavement, it's in uncertainty, right? Like, like if that's the way you're going to live, if that's the way you're going to view the gospel, if you're going to view salvation and being made right with God, man, uh, it's never certain. How do you gauge when you've done enough? Is it when your sin out, the, the, your sin is outweighed by the good things you do? I mean, it would have to be, right? But then again, when do you know what that mark is? When, when do you know when you've, uh, man, changed the balance to where, man, uh, man, your good works are in your favor and they outweigh, man, all of your sin? Man, the reality is you can never know that because there's so many things that we do, uh, not only outwardly, but the, man, just the posture and state of our heart that, man, we, we walk in sin at times and we're not even aware of it. Man, and so we can't be certain that if I do enough, it's only enslavement. It's only a new law. But then on the other side, if we're doing and, and, and seeing the outworking of our faith in light of what Jesus has done, man, that brings freedom and rest. Not only does it bring freedom and rest, it brings certainty, right? And what can separate us from the love of God? Man, nothing. Therefore, while we are saved by faith alone, as I said it last week, and I didn't come up with this, faith that saves is never alone. And so the work being done or the work needing to be done reveals where your faith lies in light of your actions. You see, your actions speak of the source of faith. It speaks to, to where you are putting your faith and hope and trust. Your actions reveal that. And I think, man, as we think about that, as we're closing out chapter 2 and even moving into chapter 3 today, I think for us, when we think about faith that produces action, a lot of times we think about big things that are out there, right? How can I serve? How can I, uh, man, I want to be about these things. But it's all outwardly, which is great. Like we want to be a people of what? Caring service. 
in light of what how Jesus has served us. You see, I think at times, like the reason we're about all those things that are outward and, and don't really hone in on what's going on closer to us, really with our own lives, is because, man, those things out there, like we can use those things to build ourselves up and feel really good about ourselves, right? Like they're not bad things, but at times we can make it about us. Not only that, but those things often are tangible. Like you can check the box on those things, right? But you see, today in James 3, we're going to see that while we need to be actively missional and serving out there, our real need, man, where he's going to begin, which is probably not where we would begin, is a bit closer to home. He's not going to begin out there. He's going to look at our real need and it's offer, often it's closer and it's much more of a battle. You see what James is going to do in our time today. He's, he's going to press us to see the motivations of our heart and the actions that are produced with our tongue, with our words. Luke 645 says out of the overflow of the heart, what the mouth speaks. And I would argue that if you want to see the heart of a person, if you want to see the real day in and day out faith that produces action example in your own life, not all the stuff you're doing, I would argue that you just need to look at your words. The words that you're speaking and I'll just we're going to get into it later, how you're speaking it. See, this is what James is going to press us to see in our time today. And so with that, uh, we're going to begin with the first two verses. Because really, th- this, this passage is separated between teachers and, and then, man, uh, man, overall, like, man, what every follower of Jesus should be after. I, I'm going to argue that even in these first two verses, he's, while he's speaking specifically, he's also uh, giving this overarching theme of what we're to do with our words. So James 3, verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Okay, so following his call to faith that produces works or actions, James begins his time... And talking about one's words and how it reveals the heart, not by saying, hey, uh, we're going to begin with everyone listen to this. He, he, he focuses in and hones in on those who wish to be teachers. Now, now a couple of things here. Uh, first, teachers in the church. So, so me as a pastor, as a, uh, a, a preacher and a teacher of God's word. Again, I would argue that in various levels of authority, like we're all called to teach God's word, right? Like if you're a parent, then if you're a disciple of Jesus, what are you supposed to do? Go and make disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded you, right? And so we get this picture, but man, specifically with what James is talking about here, I want to say up front that teachers in the church, while gifted by God in a certain way, man, we too are just everyday followers of Jesus. There's this misconception in culture, but especially in church culture, that, that man, pastors and teachers don't struggle. Some of you that know me a while, you're like, yeah, I know you, Kyle. Like, you, and you're not afraid to say it, right? Uh, like, but, but there, there is this misconception that, man, we're different, that we don't struggle, that we, we're not approachable. And you may say, well, I don't do that too, but man, no, we feel this, right? Like, I feel this. 
I told you all a while back about kind of my game now is when I meet new people, I don't tell them what I do. I wait and see how long it takes them to ask me. Because I at least know up until they ask me, they're going to be who they really are. And then likely after that, they might not be. Like we feel this. And so I want you to hear today from the start, man, I struggle with my words. You see, James, this call that he's making here at the beginning of James 3 is a warning that while specific for the local church leadership context, man, it's also a warning for all who follow Jesus and find themselves in positions of authority as teachers, executives, day-to-day workers, because guess what? We all will give an account. And so we all must watch our words. And so today up front, to the things that you say to others and the way that you say them, push people to or away from Jesus. Now, the reason we know that, man, there's uh, with what James is dealing with and uh, is that uh, beginning with a warning is due to the context that James finds himself in, which really in some ways mirrors our context today. You see, in the early church culture, a lot of the practices, a lot of the thoughts and a lot of the feelings towards how people were to treat leadership was bound up in one's past experience. And so for many of these new Christians, for many of them, they come from Judaism where the rabbi or the teacher of the law was held in even higher regard than one's family. The name rabbi literally means my great one. It would be like if you came up to me and said, Kyle, my great one. Like I would run. Like at least I hope I would, right? Like get those words out of your mouth, you know, like. But that's the way people viewed rabbis. To give another example, the expectation would be this. In this time period, if your parents were kidnapped and the rabbi was kidnapped, when when paying the ransom, you would have to pay the rabbi's ransom first. And then if you had enough money, you could bail your parents out. Like that was the mentality. And so when looking at leadership in the early church, man, many people struggled not to see leaders in this same light. They almost worshipped them. And man, because of that, it made those in the church, some of those in the church, want to seek positions as teachers so that they could receive some of the spoils. But sadly, pastors today still relish this type of hero worship, do they not? Like they go after it. And they'll chase it and they'll, they'll say it's, you know, because they're worthy of double honor, right? And so guess what? Give me a helicopter, right? Don't give me a helicopter. Never going to get on it. Uh, But they do that. But also, people love to give that kind of authority, do they not? I want to circumvent my worship for God. I'll just worship a human being. And so you have this aspect of church life, but along with this, Man, early church gatherings were largely open forum where at any moment someone in the crowd could just start running their mouth as if they were the authority on a subject so that they could promote themselves, their beliefs, their values, and even their aspirations. Now this is where, and today, it's not the same but the same. Let me explain what I mean. It's not the same because I wish y'all would interact more, right? 
And I don't just mean laughing at my jokes because maybe you feel sorry or whatever. Uh, sometimes y'all don't. Y'all are like, no, nah, it didn't work. Uh, <laughs> and that's good. That's a good interaction, okay? Uh, your silence speaks volumes. Um, but uh, on the other side, man, there, there's this in church culture, man, there's this idea of call and response, right? Where you're not responding to me to make me feel good, but you're responding to God's word. So you say things like amen or mm, good word or, oh, I don't like that or whatever it is, right? Where you are interacting with what's going on. But you see, I also think and believe that, man, while the content it's not exactly the same. I think the culture we live in, man, everyone's an expert, are they not? Not necessarily on scripture, But we're darn sure experts when things in Scripture press against our expertise or things that we cherish and love. And again, you may not verbalize it in here, but I've been around long enough to know, and I wasn't always a pastor, and also I can struggle with my words, but you get in a small group and you can start criticizing what's happening or sharing, you know, your expertise in this subject. Again, you're not going to God's word, but you're just going to share what you know. And if you're not doing that, man, where else do we do that? And we're the biggest experts on social media. Because we think, we, we've believed this lie that we're not really talking. Satan's just made us blind to it. You're yelling, even on social media. So today, I challenge you to go look at your posts. Are they pointing people to Jesus or pushing them away? Scripture calls us to be innocent as dove and wise as serpents. You see, James was well aware of these evil ambitions, but James also knew that when people are placed in positions of authority as teachers, it opens them up to the threat of further corruption. It's a lot of power. Same holds true today. Teaching, while a blessing to the souls of those who get to do it, is also something that can ruin the souls of those who teach. And if I come up here and my identity's not in Jesus... Even when my identity's in Jesus, like the, on Mondays, usually they call them like the, the Monday blues where I'm just like, oh gosh, like just struggle. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard, weighty thing. Jesus knew this. And when Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, what is he doing all the time? He's saying, hey, look, you're so close, but you've missed it. You're like a whitewashed tomb. You're like blind guides. And so James demands, really commands those listening to not be quick to long for the place of teacher. And then he gives a couple of reasons. First, because of divine judgment, you're responsible for what you teach. To whom much is given, much is required. And man, as I hear that, like, man, praise God for grace. Because I bet if I went back to like when I was first a student pastor back in 2008, like a lot of the things I probably preached were not right. (laughs) Right. And yet God, even in the midst of that, because he's God and he's actually the one that saves sinners, not my words. He actually did stuff with that and bore fruit, like even in my ignorance or my pride. Along with this, what you're teaching 
you should be walking in obedience to as well. Man. Because I was preparing this, I was like, oh gosh, like just conviction. Man, am I doing that? The things that I'm calling y'all week in and week out, am I walking in obedience to that? Not always. You see, all are judged, but teachers will be judged more strictly in light of how we both handled and lived out God's word. You see, the reality is, is that we, James says that we all, which is everyone, but specifically teachers, he says you, we all stumble in many ways. The, the actual verb there is like this present tense where it's like, it, what it really means is that, man, we're all repeatedly stumbling. When it comes to what we say, he says, and anyone who is never at fault for what they say, he says, they're perfect. Now, that doesn't mean sinless. It means mature. And they're able to keep themselves in check. And man, keeping oneself in check is key to the next part. But first, uh, let's look at the reality of what James is getting at. Because man, he's arguing, he's saying, look, we all struggle and we all walk immaturely at times with what we say. We all are after what we can gain. Uh, what, what we can gain from this is that teachers, and again, I want you, James is not saying, hey, there shouldn't be any more teachers. Actually, we need more good gospel-centered biblical teachers. He's saying, man, you need to do so with the right heart and the right motivation. And so we have this warning and to teachers, and then from there we continue talking about keeping oneself in check when it comes to words. And so uh, I want to continue with what I see as, man, the real meat of the passage by reading verses 3 through 12. It's a lot of verses here, but just listen. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in, the image, in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. All right, so following this warning to those who are or wish to be teachers, James, man, he expounds on this and the power of the tongue. And he begins with two examples. He talks about horses. He talks about boats. Now, the first example uh, in terms of putting a bit in the mouth of a horse, man, it hit really close with me, right? So, man, I, uh, throughout my life, I've spent countless hours on the back of a horse. Most of my childhood, most of the summers was spent day in and day out on a horse, on horseback. And so for me, I hold both a deep respect and a deep suspicion towards every horse I encounter. I respect them, but to a greater degree than I respect them, I don't trust them. You ever looked at a horse's eyes? They're crazy all the time. 
Like, it's not like they're crazy and like they're just always like there's just a simmering crazy. They're easily spooked and they're too strong for their own good. Which is why we use bits to control the beast. And, and man, if you don't have a bit in a horse's mouth, good luck. Okay, case in point, I heard a story about my, my mom when she was little. Uh, so when she was probably five or six, uh, they had a horse and he was an old horse. Probably the most gentle, crazy horse ever, because they're all crazy. Uh, and uh, one day, they, my, my grandfather had saddled the horse, and they, her and her older sister, who was a year older than her, they were taking turns just sitting on the horse while it was in the yard. And they didn't have a bit in its mouth. They just had a halter on it, and a halter doesn't go in the mouth. It just goes over the nose around the head. And they were just, just you know, uh, just let it just kind of graze in the grass, and the kids were just enjoying uh, time sitting on it. But something happened. And, uh, man, the horse got spooked and boom, took off. And the logical thing for any horse is I'm going to run away from what scared me. So I'm going to the brush. But not only that, the next logical thing is I got to get what's on me off. Okay. So this horse headed straight for the brush and it goes and the brush that it ran into was the host to a large group of goats. Okay. I can't make this up. This is most of my life. All right. So, uh, we didn't have goats then, but you know, like that, there was just goats everywhere. And so the horse goes in the brush and then proceeds to come out the other side, but it came out alone. Somewhere between when it entered the goats in the brush and when it got out, my mother was gone. And so they see this take place and my grandfather takes off running to find my mother and my aunt, who again is only a year older than my mom, flips her lid. She just, she is unbearably like broken and grieving and crying and yelling, uh, you know, Robin, 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 uh, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're going to get her. They're going to get her. They're going to get her. And my grandmother the whole time is like, what in the world? And she's sitting there, she's trying to calm my aunt down. And she finally says, Hey, what's wrong? And she said, they're going to get her. They're going to get her. They're going to get her. And then she responds with what she's so upset about. And it wasn't the horse. You see, her response in saying they're going to get her was that she believed as a six or seven year old, the goats were going to eat her sister. You see, the distress was due to her belief that getting raked off into a herd of goats was only going to lead to her getting eaten by goats, which is logical for a little kid. If you've ever been around goats, like goats, all they do is eat all the time. If a goat isn't eating, they're getting through the fence so they can go eat, okay? Like, that's what they do. And not only that, but if you're around them, they'll start start nipping at you. And so, man, in her little mind, the only thing that could happen is that she, my my mother went into the bushes and then she was going to be gone because the goats were going to eat her. Luckily, she didn't get eaten. Everybody calmed down. But see, the thing about it is, man, uh, I don't know that if it, I don't know technically it would have worked, but it would have helped if there would have been a bit in the horse's mouth. See, my mother could have maybe pulled back on the reins and, and hoped to stop or at least turn the horse in another direction. So, man, it's what it does. It doesn't take much to turn a horse with a bit in its mouth. It puts pressure on the mouth. And then the second example gives us the picture of a large ship being steered by a small rudder. 
While driven by strong winds, a small rudder controls the direction of a whole ship. And James isn't talking about just a little rowboat here. Like He's talking about the biggest ships that they would have during that time period, which for us would be like, have you ever seen a cargo ship navigate through a canal? This massive ship, man, it's turned by the smallest of rudders in comparison to the size of the ship. And I don't know if you've ever driven a boat. It doesn't take much to get the boat moving if you just, you barely turn that wheel and you'll throw children and adults side to side, right? Like if you're going and they're not ready. It doesn't take much. And so to James's point, the, the tongue is the same. It's such a small part of the body, but when not controlled, it holds more power than we can handle. You see, the tongue should never have its power doubted and it should never be underestimated. In verse 5, he likens it to being a small fire that without warning can set a whole forest ablaze. You see, a spark can turn the land ablaze just like that. And man, guess what? Once it gets going, it's not very easy to stop. A few years back, we were uh, working, getting ready to sell my grandparents' house. And they live, again, they live out in the country. And so they didn't have, uh, you know, they didn't have a trash service. So they just burned their trash. Uh, probably not the greatest thing. Uh, but they had a burn pit and, and then they had burn barrels. And so we didn't have a whole lot to get rid of that at that moment. So my cousin decides, I'm going to go put it in the burn barrel. And so he lights that thing up. There's nail polish, all kinds of flammable things in it. And he's outside and we're working and Haley's in the kitchen. And all of a sudden my cousin runs in and he's dripping sweat. And he's breathing really heavy. And all he's saying is, cups of water, cups of water. And he has a pitcher about this big. And he's just over there trying to fill that thing up. And I hear it and Haley's like, what in the world? Like thinking he's like dehydrated or something. Uh, and so I run outside and man, half the pasture's on fire. This, a pitcher of water this big isn't going to do much, right? And he's just sitting there, he goes out and he throws that thing and it's just like, but it just grows, right? Like the flames just continue. And so we start stomping, which is why he was breathing so heavy because he was trying to put him out himself. You see, he had lit the fire and one thing fell off and boom, it lit the pasture on fire. We called the fire department. We didn't know it was a burn ban at the time. Luckily, we didn't get tickets. Uh, but we finally got a water hose out there, and we got it put out and stomped out. I mean, it, it was nothing. He was like, I, I don't know what happened. I, I lit it, and it looked fine, and then something fell over, and it just took off. The tongue, like a fire, burns the same, if not worse. And those who misuse it, as one writer states, are guilty of spiritual arson. James continues this analogy by describing, he says, man, the tongue is a world of evil among the body that corrupts all of it. And I believe it's so key because, again, it shows the tongue's power. Guess what? You can do all that you want. You can have all kinds of works. And in a moment, you can be revealed and corrupted and exposed by your tongue. The word James uses for world in verse 6 is cosmos. And it, what it does, he, he's getting, he's saying, look, it, when you do that, man, it's revealing just the, the broken reality of the entire world. You see, we like to point out there and say, look at the destruction that's coming from fill in the blank. But James is calling us to look at our words as being the source of the destruction taking place around us. Man, don't we see it? 
The tongue James shares sets the course of our life, our existence. And he says, and it's set on fire by what? By hell. This word for hell is the same word that Jesus used, uh, Gehenna, which was a trash dump outside of Jerusalem that was always burning and smoldering. And if you got too close or if the wind blew, you could smell it. Jesus is saying that's what it's like. It's always burning. The stench is always there. So this is what your lives look like. The point is to get us to see that the tongue, when not controlled, is a direct pipeline to hell. It burns us. Because again, how many in the room, you've been burned by someone's words? You've been hurt by someone's words? Man, all of us. But we also fan it, do we not? We fan the flames. We encourage perpetually, James argues, the fire. He says it's a restless evil. It never rests. It's always looking to devour. And it's full of what? It's full of poison. And guess what? It's not just what you say. It's how you say it. You know, we, as, a, as kids, it was if you don't have anything nice to say, what? Don't say anything at all. Well, if, even if the nice things you have to say, or even if the things you have to say, uh, maybe they're, 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 they're okay, but you're going to say it in the wrong tone. It, it, don't say it. A raised voice is not the sole definition of harsh words. How you say it matters. Man, if you say it in anger, it's not right. Even if you're not raising your voice, like you ever just get down in your kid's face, there's a time when you're in public and you need to be like, hey, listen, don't do that. There are other times, though, when you get in, you're like, look at me right here. <laughs> it's about to go down. <laughs> Right? And it's sin. I heard Matt Chandler say this week in a sermon. He said, man, all anger is just... uh, Underneath every bit of anger is just sadness. Man, in our anger, what we're revealing is that actually there's sadness that we need to deal with in our own lives, our own hearts, and we don't know how to do that. Or we're refusing to do that, and so anger is what comes out. Next, your face and your posture mean a lot. You can say things real nice, but your face can show something totally different. Your posture can show something that's aggressive. Which leads me to the next thing. Passive-aggressive words are not any better than aggressive-aggressive words. They're both sin. And if your first thing when you get in a group of people or your first comment when responding to someone is gossip, slander, and criticism, you got a problem with your words. All of those things reveal your heart, reveals where your identity and where your faith is at. And guess what? More than those that you're projecting your words onto, I mean, it says more about your, it says more about you. It reveals, the way you use your words reveals more about you. Than it does the person. Y'all want to keep going? Because he doesn't stop. He says, with it you praise God and yet you curse those made in his image. He says, with it we use it for both blessing and cursing. 
In Jewish culture, whenever they would gather together, every time the rabbi would say something, they would reply after every stanza, blessed be God, blessed be God, blessed be God. And so it was just this continual act of praise. And what James recognized that, he says, hey, we're even doing that in churches. Like you're, you're doing that when you gather together. And yet those same people curse others. And it's not just others they disagree. He says, those made in the image of God. Guess what? It doesn't matter if you agree or disagree with a the person. They're made in the image of God. You see, this is what it means to talk out of both sides of your mouth. And man, my frustration is that we in the church are doing the same. We do the same. We come in here on Sundays and we bless God. And then we leave and the rest of the week, we curse those made in his image. Maybe your argument, there's, there's a few arguments. Maybe your first argument is, but they're the one, they're doing it. They're those, they're those that don't know Jesus, man, look at the things they're saying. Guess what? We should expect it from those who don't know Jesus, but we should not be the ones fanning it at times, provoking the fires in the first place. Does Jesus speak to you the way you're speaking and sharing with others? Man, that's got to be our litmus test. Like, how does Jesus speak to you? Does Jesus sit in heaven and say, God, just so tired of Mickey. Like, (laughs) sorry, you're on the, you're closest. (laughs) I'm just so like, I'm so tired of Colin. He's the furthest away, right? Like, ah, I wish they would just get it together. Can you believe what they did yesterday? Is that what Jesus... No. Jesus intercedes for us all the time. His words are not against us. They're for us. Man, what if you, instead of criticizing and throwing venom and hate towards those you disagree with, those that have hurt you and those you don't like, what if you just started praying for them? Like, What if that's what you did? Instead of just saying, well, I want to criticize right now. I want to slander. I want to talk bad about. And I'm saying this to myself, okay? What if I just said, no, I'm just going to pray for him. And not those like passive aggressive prayers. Like, God, just strike them down. You know, like just get them. Judge them, right? Like pour out your wrath. No, guess what? Like if they don't know Jesus, the wrath of God's already on them. And we should be crying out for their salvation. see, we need consistency, church. Keeping control of your tongue more so than how you serve, how many times you show up to church, how many things you do for your spouse, your kids and others is the greatest avenue of gospel proclamation in your life. If we are to be a people of word and deed at the end of the day, we have to give them, we have to give others good news with our words. And I don't just mean the plan of salvation. You're proclaiming a gospel of something with every word you say. So today, do your words mark the gospel of the kingdom or are they to mark the gospel of selfishness and self-preservation? You see, we could all argue all day long and show off a long list of deeds. But man, if we, what if we were pressed... What if we were exposed? What if every word you said for the last week, we, you just had, we all had to stand up here one at a time and let every word just be projected on the screen? 
man, what would, like, we would, no, no one would come up here, okay? Like, we're all like, see ya, I'm out. We would be exposed. And the reality would be that our words, not all the time, but most of the time, they don't match up. We come on Sunday and bless the Lord and then leave the building and curse people made in the image and likeness of God. And guess what? It's like we do it. It's not any like it's easy for us, is it not? And that should be scary. Maybe you're sitting there today and you say, but Kyle, they believe differently than I do. We'll proclaim and live out the better news of the gospel. Don't curse them. But Kyle, they're, they're, they're pressing on my rights, my comforts, my convictions. Guess what? Proclaim the better news and find hope in knowing that nothing can ultimately take away your salvation in Jesus in this world. Jesus says you will have what? You'll have trouble. Like it's expected that people would disagree with us. But take heart, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Man, man, when, when your response and your words, uh, whenever you respond in that way, it, it's not because you want to be right. It's because you fear something greater than you fear uh, uh, God. It's because you're trying to find security in something that can't give you the security that only God can. And so we lash out and we flail and we fight for secondary things. But guess what? In eternity, you're not even going to remember But Kyle, my kids or my spouse won't listen. Proclaim to them the good news and why it means something to their lives rather than yelling, screaming, criticizing, demeaning them into momentary behavior modification. And guess what? Like I just snap. Do as I say. And then I wonder why my kids just snap at each other, right? That's not how Jesus responds to me. That's not how Jesus responds to you. He doesn't snap at you. Man on the cross, how does Jesus respond to those cursing his name? He says, man, forgive them. Forgive them. We can't talk from both sides of our mouths, you can't talk from both sides of your mouth and hope to see healing, transformation, and reconciliation. You can't have both and expect anything other than destruction and a blazing inferno. If you don't believe me, just look around at our world. But guess what? We are to be a, a different people. But are we? We're to be a catalyst for change. We're to have better news, but do we? Has the gospel so consumed your heart and life that, man, the words you speak, it's just an overflow of that. Or have other things so consumed your life that the overflow is just a blazing inferno that, man, I'm ready to torch anyone that comes near. A spring can't pour forth fresh and salt water. A fig tree cannot bear any other fruit. You don't go to a fig tree and expect it to produce apples. It's only going to produce figs. You don't go to salt water and yell at it. Why can't you be fresh water? It's just going to produce salt water. It's the same in your life. It's the same with our words. You will know the tree by its fruit. In the same way, you'll know the heart by the words. So, man, how are we to respond to this today? And I think we've got to allow the Spirit to do some heart work.
We've got to allow God to reveal. And guess what? Don't run from conviction when it comes. Conviction is a grace from God. If you feel shame, if you feel guilt, it's not connected to the grace of God. That's the enemy trying to get you to turn to something else. Say, you're not good enough. You need to work so that you can be approved. No, we talked about that in the beginning. Now Jesus says, hey, guess what? You're secure. But we've got to deal with this right here. We've got to learn to be quick to listen and slow to speak. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. If you don't have anything helpful, or, you know, like just. We should probably like just keep our mouth shut. Now, is there time to speak truth? Should we speak truth? Oh, yes. But we should speak truth in love. Should we stand up for things? Oh, yes. but in a way that proclaims the love of Jesus as being better than the things we're standing against. We should be led by the Spirit and not flesh-focused. And then, man, as these things are revealed, may we be a people that practice quick repentance, not only to God, but to others. That we would be humble enough to go to our spouse or even our children or those. Maybe there's people in this room that are like, man, I know I've offended them with my words I need to just go ask for some forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there. Like those whom we disagree with, that we would pray for them more than we seek an argument to disagree with them. And that we would cry out for God's grace, that we would ask the Spirit to change our words. And I encourage you to spend time in the Gospels looking at how Jesus spoke to people. People that didn't agree with him. Right? People that were broken and messy. Look how Jesus, like, look how he speaks to them. And then I think the convicting reality is look how he speaks to those that say they're religious. Well, you would be shocked who's he's, who, who he's the hardest on. May we be a church that proclaims better news, not simply with our lives, but by the carefulness and grace of our words. And again, in today's age, it's not just these words we speak with our mouth. Like, again, what you post online says so much. Like, it is a, you are yelling, but you're just hiding behind it. If you don't believe me, like for the next 30 days, just post scripture on social media and that's it. I bet like I, I bet you're, you're you'd be more at rest. And having to prove something that in eternity we probably won't care about. Let us be a people that speak with kindness. What we tell our kids all the time. There's a way like talk with kindness. But am I being, am I talking with kindness? Am I talking with, are my lips just filled with grace? Should, man, let that be our posture as a good news people.
I'm going to have Kate come back up. Man, I just want to give you some time to reflect, to pray, to, to repent, uh, to ask God for grace, to uh, ask Him to give you strength. Um, and then I want you to be a follower of Jesus. I want to invite you to come and share in communion. As we share in communion today, we are reminded uh, that, man, Jesus came what? He came to serve, not be served. Jesus came and in the giving of himself when he implemented this and he washes the disciples feet. And he says, man, as I have done, you do to others, which, man, is this reflection of our whole lives, right? That we're to live lives of service towards others. I mean, one of the way we, ways we serve others is with our words with how we encourage and care and even confront. So Jesus, I pray that we uh, would speak the way you speak, that in light of what you say about us, that we would then say towards others and speak things in a way that, that reveals your grace, that we would not uh, just be, uh, you know, uh, people that just cast things under the rug or anything like that. God, that we would stand where we need to stand, but every word that we proclaim, it would be good news that we would uh, even be slower to speak so that we might uh, not say things that aren't needed, that are sinful, that are of the flesh. Holy Spirit, lead us to be a people that use our words as a balm, not as a blazing inferno. That they would bring healing because we're proclaiming the healing that only comes in, in, in and through you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and knowing that it's only by your spirit that they're done. Amen.